I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to All Things Policy. My name is Rohan Seth, and I am joined here today with Pratik Bagre. I think we we do technology podcasts once a week at All Things Policy, and I have the pleasure to be joined by Pratik and and Sapni most days. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the podcast is based on Pratik's excellent newsletter, Miss Dismal Information, which of course um, I read every edition and I thoroughly enjoy. But this time around, when the edition came out, I thought we should record a podcast on it because essentially Miss Dismal Information is a newsletter that talks about information disorder. And this time around, it talks about why we shouldn't talk about information disorder. It's a bit of a paradox that I've been wanting to understand, and that's why I have Pratik here with me. So, uh, hi Pratik, how are you doing? Hey, you know. So let's let's begin, Pratik, by first talking about why it's pertinent to not talk about information disorder as much, and then I also want to talk about you talk about this bit in the newsletter, which is why fake news has lost meaning. So, so tell me why you did this newsletter and why is fake news not the same anymore? Yeah, and look, and and that's that's a point I addressed in the edition itself, right? In the sense that it seems odd in you know it's something that has done fifty two editions on information disorder. There uh, is conversation about less focus on information disorder, but so yeah, you know, some of this was sparked by this article that uh, a essay that Samuel Woolley had written called "It's Time to Think Beyond Disinformation," right? And this resonated with me because to some extent it is some of the points or. The broad takeaway aligned with what we had said in our paper, right, where we about categorizing the harms attributed to digital communication networks, right. So in that, what we had done is, you know, we had identified basically that there are, you know, very strong incentives to perform and participate, right, in quotes in attention markets. Right? There are various affordances on on those platforms to for control and manipulation of information. Which has resulted in you know lowering of trust in various institutions, both public and private, and generally leading to negative impact on on social cohesion, right? And then when we done the cognitive biases bit of bit of you know work on that part of it, we had noticed that you know those associated with in and out group dynamics, right, and group hostilities, things like anchoring, stereotyping, bandwagon, those had a relatively higher occurrence, uh, as well as things like you know. Things to do with recency and availability of information, right? So, that, so I, I saw you know some parallels there. In fact, and we had said uh, in the paper that look, the implications of all this are that you know that our conversations need to go far beyond just looking at whether a message is is true or false, right? So that's why this got my attention. Right now, uh, coming back to to Samuel Willey's piece itself, right now he basically says that look, it's you know we need to and, and he's largely talking to researchers, but I'm also picking this up and applying. It a little broadly, you know, wherever it, it makes sense, right? But the idea was that his call was that should you know expand our frames beyond you know just understanding things in terms of uh, disinformation and look at you know broader issues, right? And and I'll quote: typically talks about propaganda, coordinated hate, manipulative content about electoral processes, and incitement of violence. Right? Now these are all these are all important issues, and they do get talked about today. But uh, typically, there is a sense that they take a backseat to. Just the larger question of, uh, of of disinformation, right? And the the other point that he makes is that look, very often the groups that that researchers are studying 
right, who are using the, the various mechanisms, don't necessarily use out and out disinformation or false information. Right, there is there is an element of truth that people build on, right. And this is something that actually it just struck me that a point that uh, is made in you know the, the book Art of Conjuring Alternate Reality, right? By we also make that point, right? That there is an element of truth, so it's not it's not completely false information that a lot of these these campaigns or these efforts, right? the motivated effort that those are based on. Now coming to the point about the term having lost meaning, I, I thought that was interesting because again, it there is you know there are parallels with what happened with the term fake news, right? Uh, now I've generally always advocated against using the term fake news you know, because one thing that you know, often not fake and not necessarily news. And this is, you know, as you know, on something we, we've covered multiple times in various, you know, the webinars for our tech and policy specialization. Right. But it seems, right, that over the last couple of years that misinformation and disinformation have terms have gone a similar way. Right. Uh, they're, they're essentially being used to discredit any views that you, know, you don't like or you oppose. Right. Uh, especially from political leaders. Uh, but it, it's a broader phenomenon, uh, broader phenomenon as well, right? It was heavily with fake news, and then we said that you know for a while it was okay. The term misinformation, disinformation, ha- still had you know some sense of semblance in the way they were used. But I think that's that we're we're at, we're at a point where you know the, just using the term misinformation, disinformation doesn't say anything because you'll often have interviews right from political leaders they'll say, oh, this is misinformation, right? Uh, and just generally being uh, dismissive of stuff just by using. Uh, that label. Uh, another point is uh, there's another parallel, right? Around the same time, this article, this essay came out. Rene de Rista wrote uh, another essay in in the Atlantic where she talks about uh, scope creep associated with these terms, right? And and the point she was making, I'll paraphrase here, but is that you know very often it's it's opinion that's being contested, or that you know, uh, and she gives that three examples in that essay, and, and we include that. But very often it. It's opinion, right? That that's being that's being spoken about or being bandied about, and you can't always label that as misinformation or disinformation from the perspective of a whether it's true or false or attribute motives to it, right? So that, that's where the scope creep uh, of of these terms uh, come in, right? So this is this is not from this is not from a term not from the perspective of the term being being weaponized, but just being used too broadly for it to have too much too much meaning, right? I think. The scope three point is quite interesting. It sort of also brings me to, I would say, my follow-up question, which is, um, see, when you talk about these things, you talk about platforms, or as you say in your paper, digital communication like networks, they also spend a significant amount of time and resources to sort of deal with this. Now, tell me a little bit about the opportunity cost that, that these platforms sort of face when dealing with this. And then I also want to talk about the information ecosystem after. Uh, so, so those two things, please. Let me actually flip that around. Uh, in, in, let me do the intuition ecosystem analogy first, and then I'll come to the opportunity cost because I think there is some parallels between the intuition ecosystem and, and the points about the term misinformation, disinformation that, that we were just discussing, right? So, the information ecosystem analogy, and where I came across it was in this book called "You Are Here" by Whitney Phillips and, and Ryan Milner, and it it uses the analogy of you know environmental pollution to look at uh, the information ecosystem, right? And I think, you know, and while most analogies are are imperfect and are limited in certain ways, where I think this, you know, helps expand the frame beyond just, you know, true or false, right? Or just misinformation, disinformation, is that it opens, it opens it up to the perspective of, you know, looking at just beyond the fact that, hey, is this piece of information true or false? Or is this something that was done with a good intention or a bad intention? Uh, and instead, it helps us focus on 
on the effects, right? And how, you know, different actors are deeply intertwined in the sense that you can have, you know, just to, to, to go further down the analogy, right? You can have small polluters and large polluters, right? Which is whether it's just, you know, accounts with, with small following, do you think like this or accounts with large following, do you like this and how they tend to feed off, how they tend to feed off each other. The, the other thing is that, you know, rot in the system can build up over time. So it's not necessarily that the effects are always visible immediately. There is a slow build up over time, certain norms build up uh, over time. And then, then, you know, we see the effect only, only much later, right? Unless you've been paying, you've been paying very close, uh, close attention to it. And I, and, and I think this is, this is, this is useful because especially the intention part, because you know, it, it, we hear very often, right? That, hey, I did this because I didn't think it was wrong, right? Or I called out so-and-so person because what they said was wrong. The difference that this, that the ecosystem analogy shifts, shifts is that when you look at effects, right? Sometimes, you know, depending on who you are, right? If, if you are, and let's just take a very specific example of Twitter, right? And let's say you are an account with, uh, I don't know, you know, 100,000 followers, right? And some, someone told you with 200 accounts and you quote tweet them, right? Uh, with the, you know, basically disagreeing with what they say or calling on what they say. Yes, there is some signal that you send out that, okay, this message is, is wrong. But there's also the fact that, you know, given in the environment you're in, uh, how that also can lead to, you know, a sort of algorithmic reward for, for that account. Right? And, and these are tactics that people use, right, very often, which is why it's important to look at, uh, to start looking at things from the perspective of effects, right? Now, again, it's, it's not easy. It's not, it's not always easy to say what is going to, what is going to have a good outcome or a bad outcome. Uh, but I think just, you know, moving one step beyond just looking at intention to, you know, introspecting and looking at effects has a certain value to it. Okay. Hey, thanks. I think that was quite interesting, Pradeek. Let's take a quick commercial break and when we come back, we can talk about the opportunity cost in our platforms deal with this. Hi, we are back. Welcome to All Things Policy and I am here joined by Pratik Wakri. And I think it's time to talk about how platforms deal with uh, misinformation and the opportunity cost, more importantly, that rises. So talk to me a little bit about that, Pratik. Yeah, so uh, the opportunity cost is an interesting thing. And, and I, I'm going back to Samuel Willey's say, right, where, uh, again, he addresses this to, to researchers, but I'm again doing my thing when I said I'm just going to apply it a little more broadly, uh, right? But the, the idea is that, look, it's uh, when, you know, when researchers tend to focus specifically on that, A, it's, it's taking away from other issues like hate speech, you know, like incitement to violence, et cetera, that people could be researching on. It's taking time away from that. Uh, the second is that it's creating, you know, un potentially unintended consequence of, you know, amplifying it in the sense that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because you have, you have, on the one hand, you have researchers looking and then you have journalists covering it who are themselves very often affected by some of the harms. Right? So it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in that sense, right? And the the other unintended consequence of this is that look if if you focus if you're focusing on the wrong problem right if you're misdiagnosing the problem we're likely heading towards the path of uh, you know incorrect solutions or inappropriate solutions right? just to take a few examples right because and and we've already seen some of these uh, is that you know you're likely to get things like anti disinformation or anti fake news laws uh, right now from from the few that are out there we we've, we've seen that these are Typically applied again at the center and again opposition candidates, just anyone that the, you know that the government may or may not like, right? Or if, if they don't like what they say, or we'll have you know various type of proposals to to come up with you know either commissions to regulate information disorder or some sort of independent regulators, which again 
I think details are important here, but it it does it just gives off this very Ministry of Truth vibe, right? Because you're essentially trying to put a regulator or a government body in charge of saying what is true and what is and what is false, uh, right? Uh, and that can happen if you're looking at just from looking at things from the lens of whether it is uh, true or false. Uh, some of the other intended uh, consequences, and 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 I'm you know I'm drawing on these from based on what I've seen suggested as uh, solution, right? Based on the the reading that I've done. One is this, it can lead to this belief that uh, we can somehow fact check our way to agreement, right? Now, this is interesting because I, I don't think we fully understood the effect that, that fact checking has. You know, research on a thing like backfire effect and how much effect corrections have. I think it, it's, still, it's still evolving, right? There, there, there isn't a clear, there isn't a clear con- consensus. But some, you know, some recent research is now pointing to the fact that we need, I should not, I shouldn't say facts, it's pointing in the direction. Uh, that corrections need to be, you know, highly specialized or or focused, right? Now, I, I want to clarify. Right? This is this is not to this is not a criticism of of the act of fact checking or the organization that do fact checking themselves. I don't think any of them run around claiming that uh, this is you know this is the magical solution to to our problem. But it's it's a broader thing of how we approach it in the sense that you know what do we collectively need need to do beyond just making you know fact checks available uh, to people because. You know, motivated reasoning, reasoning plays a part. Confirmation bias plays a part in the decisions uh, that, that that people make, right? So we're, we're, we're you know we're unlikely to to fact check our way into to agreement, right? On 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 a lot of issues, right? I also feel like once you've sort of as a platform done a bunch of research on misinformation and so on, then other problems also sort of get categorized under that. And I think you talked about that, but I think the analogy here I would use is that once you have a hammer, everything sort of becomes a nail. The other thing I would like to sort of talk about is that we've talked a lot about Woolley's paper, but I, I know that you mentioned Ben Thompson's work on this as well. So can you tell me a little bit about his perspective on these, uh, on these things? Yeah, so, uh, so he's not specifically written about this, but uh, yeah, he, this, was, this was the point he made in one of his recent editions, talking about the Facebook fight, where, and I think this is a controversial point that it, it needs to be studied further, but as a hypothesis, it's, it's interesting uh, and I think worth certainly worth investigating. Right? That disclaimer aside, his point is that, look, or the question that he raises is that, look, is the focus on, you know, misinformation making things worse from a polarization perspective, right? And so when I was thinking about this, so, you know, as a thought, it's something that I haven't been able to fully, fully wrap my head around at this point. Uh, but I was thinking of this at, at two levels, right? The first is in the context of something that's, that's easily fact-checked, where right? you have something that, that you can, you know, easily verify as as true or false, what happens when one group, you know, constantly sees their messages being labeled as false, right? And they sort of then believe that, you know, whether it's labels, flags, suspension, etc., that they're being targeted in, in some way or the other, right? And this is very much happening, right, with, with the right wing in America, right? A lot of conversations are about how they're being unfairly censored by a platform, right? And the question is, hey, is this leading to, to an increase in, in polarization, right? The second level of this is it's trickier because it 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 involves situations where it's not necessarily easy to fact check something. And this this goes back to hey, you know whether it's just whether it's just opinion or whether it's something where we just don't have enough information to conclusively say whether something is, is true or false or it's something in the future, right? So you if, if an event has not happened, right, you can't necessarily uh, you know fact check or pronounce it whether it's true or false. Yes, you can say that it's likely or unlikely, 
right? Which to be fair, a lot of, you know, a lot of the organizations doing this do that, but that's not necessarily then how it gets carried into, into regular public discourse, right? And then how that plays a role, right? Because now once uh, you, once we fact check something that, that's fuzzy, right? And how that feeds into the 11-1 bit that I was talking about, right? Into the belief that certain groups have that they are being unfairly targeted and how that plays into, into polarization. I, I think that that's certainly worth investigating. I, I don't believe we've, been, we've, we've studied this enough. Now, I, I know there have been some studies from the perspective of, hey, these things are not necessarily targeted more at one side of the political spectrum versus the other. But from the perspective of what, you know, what belief it creates within those groups, right? I, I don't know if we've, if we've studied that. And I think that's certainly interesting and worth the first study. Right. Thanks for that. I think this has been educational for me uh, reading your newsletter and also interacting with you on the podcast. I don't think there are any solutions to this, any easy solutions at all. And I think we've said this multiple times before on this podcast. So let's instead just end by saying that these are extremely interesting times and, um, and as someone who writes a letter on mis, dis and malinformation, it's it's a pleasure to have you looking at them and seeing how this debate evolves. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.